This is the ACL Podcast. My guest this week is author, writer, editor, artist Michael Haney. He's the current deputy editor of Airmail. Previously, he at Esquire and spent 17 years at GQ. He's a longtime New Yorker, a Midwesterner, and the author of the brilliant book, After Visiting Friends, which I highly recommend. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Good to see you. Michael Williams. Nice to see you, bro. I remember I, I remember the I, I don't know if it was our first meeting. I, I remember meeting with you at GQ at one point when I was a blogger and everyone was sort of equal parts <laughs> hated bloggers and uh, and also thought maybe they were the future. So there was like some sort of like maybe we should do this blog thing. Dude, we dude, we tried to buy your blog. <laughs> You should. I should have sold it to you. This? Yeah, I do. Not, but I remember Andy Comer and I met with you, and we we're, were like, because we had we had been in love with uh, Continuous Lean, uh, like everyone was and is, and uh, we were desperate, you know, like for someone's something smart and uh, thoughtful and, and, and informative. Like, okay, I'm like, why don't we just ask Michael if he'd want to, like, maybe he want to sell it to us. And he could just like, or he could, he could just, we could make him a contributing editor. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm you sure. came in, I remember sitting in the conference room and you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know about this blogging thing. I mean, I just do it because, uh, you know, I like the Cleveland Browns. That's why I do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still, um, I still don't know about this blogging thing, you know, maybe I should have sold it. You know, I would be, I'd probably be in some uh, better, you know, life situation now. No, it's a, uh, you're 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 the uh, you're the OG of uh, of of all this stuff. So it's it's it, and I'm I'm I, I I'm still remember that day and remember meeting you and all the uh, fun times we've had since then. So yeah, it's thanks, been man. it's been good to get to know you. I uh, I'm still uh, I you know there's it's interesting. Like we'll have this we have this recorded conversation, but every conversation there's I always feel like there's so much to learn from chatting with you. And uh, this is this is cool. We can record it and share it with the universe. But um, in general, like I, I kind of feel like I have a similar approach to every conversation that we have, which is you know trying to extract oh. knowledge from you, which is a fun game. It's it's what men of the Great Lakes do to each other, uh, <laughs> Michael. You know, it's uh, whether you're from Cleveland or Chicago, it's in our instincts, right? Like, hmm, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to this person. So uh, I feel the same way. Uh, I always come away from a lunch or drinks with you and write down about 15 things in my notebook. And, uh, but that's cause you're good at your job. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of, I think it's, there's a lot of noise in the universe and it's hard. I think when you zero in on someone that maybe you have some sort of alignment with mentally or stylistically or however, uh, you know, there's a lot to be gleaned from, you know, those, those types of people, right? And like, that's the true, you know, that's like, that's the true discovery, I think that's in the universe. It's like when, and that's kind of what makes, you know, COVID difficult, because you can't, you know, all that stuff has to happen on a Zoom link or whatever, you know? Yeah, but don't you think you can still like, even on the Zoom link, you can um, suss out 
who's 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 real and who's who's not totally i actually think like i had a call with this guy who i'd never met we had sort of always uh cross paths closely and but we just never the introduction was sort of never made and we just never talked and like i'd known him on social media but like never just never had any interaction with him he emailed me he's in tokyo he emailed me and was like you know i listened to this thing and you know I, I, you know, it would be great to meet you. And then we had a zoom right. and which would never have happened. And it was really right. cool. And now I'm like, I feel like we could be friends and like, it's, you know, there's like that connection happened when, you know, even if that was a phone call, it probably wouldn't have been the same. It was interesting. He just, he has this stop shop in, uh, in Tokyo and he just kind of set his phone on the outside. He was sitting outside smoking cigarettes. You could hear everyone like walking around and yeah. you know, it, it was nighttime for me and morning for him. And uh, it was just like a cool experience. Like part of me felt like I was in Tokyo and, uh, you know, like meeting yeah. this guy on Zoom, which is wild, you know, wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I think I may, I, I, what you're, I think you're identifying there is, I mean, in this year now, it's right. Even though there's, we've been confined uh, for, in our relationships and, and be able to sort of go out into the world and experience them. But yet when you make these, hookups like you're just describing i think they become incredibly intimate again you know if you're if you're approaching them with the right way what right? mm -hmm. you know and you're you're actually listening and, and 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 leaning into the phone rather than you know multitasking and doing 15 other things right yeah. so you're listening to just the voice and uh and 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 watching the image on the screen and you're more present i think that's that's something i've learned is like just you know especially being that's 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 the to be more present you know and make yeah. that effort right and focus on that so when i think about you and you mentioned chicago and there's like a lot of chicago i think that's built into who you are as a person right it's like you grew up in a place like that mm -hmm. or in cleveland like it's hard to extract those pieces from you and and layer in something else right they're always gonna that's like right. effect, affecting everything else that gets put on top but so everyone I know from Chicago just absolutely loves it and talks about one day I'm going to move back to Chicago. So I think about that. And I think about you as like this quintessential New Yorker. And, and I'm curious, like what, where's the, what's the, where do you, where do you land on that sort of with, with all that being said in uh, my mind? Uh, I don't, I'm going to say this, I do not see myself ever moving back there. Um, there's a reason I moved uh, to New York. <laughs> I mean, look, I uh, I love Chicago, and 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 obviously, as you said, it shaped me, and it still shapes me, and still informs my um, perspective on so much. But uh, uh, you know, Nelson Algren, the, the the for people who don't know, is this great mid-century writer out of Chicago. He wrote. The, the book, uh, The Man with the Golden Arm, which became the Frank Sinatra movie. He wrote A Walk on the Wild Side. Uh, and uh, he, born and raised in Chicago, and he was, was sort of this great poet, uh, but he wrote this great fiction of the city and uh, very gritty. And he had this line in one of his, he once has described Chicago, said, I'm wildly ambivalent about it, which means like he could, he hated it. And he loved it, right? And I remember when I was in high school, I had this, my high school English teacher who was also my track coach and very formative in my life. 
and he, we were doing a semester on literature in Chicago and he taught us that line, right? And it was like, oh, I finally get it, I finally get it. But as I've, as I've grown older, what I realized as well, like my way of describing Chicago is what, what, what gives me pie i'm hesitating because i know people in charge of this are like oh mr youtube too good for chicago now uh <laughs> but the way i would describe it is it's it it is a city with this it, it considers itself a world-class city and in many ways it is right um and it wants to be and it and, and, and it is but it also has this weird inferiority complex right where it's it's so you know, puffed up in its chest about its own identity, and yet it has this these insecure eyes at the at the West Coast and the East Coast, kind of always like watching what's happening there. Mm-hmm. And my example would be like, I'll go home and be talking to someone about like stuff. Oh, this is a pretty great restaurant. What are you? This is great. And and I'll say, yeah, it's pretty great. And and they'll say, you know, there's this and there's this great new pizza place in you. Oh, Mr. Fancy New York with his pizza place now. I'm like, and I know they're busting my chops in one way, but like, it is also like, what, you know, oh, uh, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a curious, you know, yeah. the, you know, the, that actor, that actor, uh, Michael um, Shannon, is that his name? Yeah. Uh, I got to check it now. We're going to hear you typing. So we'll, and then I'll, I'll put up the, okay. I'll put up the, on okay, the video, now. I'll put up the, whatever you search for. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Remember my remember that actor Michael Shannon? He was in um, uh, Shape of Water, whatever that uh, yeah yeah that movie a few years ago. And when that movie like so that was a nominated for like eighteen Oscars or whatever. And uh, I remember like the day after the Oscars, there was a friend of mine in Chicago who sent me this picture, and it was of Michael Shannon. He was sitting in this bar, uh, this gritty old uh, old town bar in Chicago and uh, where guys like literally like Roger Ebert, Mike Roy, used to hang out back in the day. And there's a picture of Shannon just sitting at the bar by himself, staring at the TV up in the corner of the bar as the Academy Awards are playing. And someone had captioned like, you know, this is why, this is how real Chicago actors think of the, of the Oscars, right? Like, and somehow they're projecting onto the sky that, he was like giving a finger, like he's too cool to go to the Oscars. When in reality, he probably was like working in Chicago at that point and couldn't go, right? But they perceive like, yeah, we don't need to go to the Oscars. You people uh, in the rest of New York and in uh, LA, you got them Oscars, but like real people here, we don't do that. And yet, I just don't believe it. Is it okay? I've gone on long enough. I'm gonna do you think now. that this isn't a pointy question? And and I I really like Chicago, and I'm from the Midwest, and so, you know, and and I've lived in New York and lived in LA. I see the fault in all of these places, and the and the beauty in in many of right. them, right? So it's not, you know, I don't want to I don't want people to freak out because I know everyone's sensitive about it. But <laughs> do you feel like that there's? I know there's a lot of talent that comes out of places like Chicago but it doesn't seem to have the cultural weight maybe that other places have. And maybe that's like a function of the media, right? I mean, that's the two big right. things of course, that propel New York and LA. Really, if you look at it, it's like Hollywood and the media, right? No, you're hundred percent right. I mean, like, because New York has, you know, 
the broadcast world, uh, you know, for whether, you know, the, certainly from, you know, the 1920, for the last hundred years, radio and then TV and then all that. And, you know, whether it's news or, you know, the talk shows back in the day with Johnny Carson before he went up with it, like an SNL, just like, it's impossible. Like it, it attracts, and then LA had the movies, right. And all that. And so it was, it was able to tell its own story and, and, and to vibrate on that uh, frequency. Right. But you're right. I mean, Chicago just didn't have that. And it also was, it was, you know, whether it's Chicago or Cleveland or Milwaukee or you know, it's just like, it's a rust belt. It's just not cool. Right. But Austin, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and the yeah. media again, plays a, plays a role in that. Um, it just was never, it's not able to tell a compelling, cool story. And, I would argue in defense of it, that's what makes it cool, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it attracts a lot of talent and it's, you know, just on that theater level, it's always the thing is like, it's a workshop for great theater because it's cheap to, to get it up and going there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and an incubator for a lot of things, but yeah, inevitably it gets attracted and pulled out of there, right? What's your, going, reality. going back to what you said about, you know, your, your, your teacher that your writing teacher uh, or English teacher that right. was, you know, hel- you know, helped you sort of develop as a writer. Did you always know you wanted to be a writer? Or like, what did you, what was your, what's your path like to writing? Like, yeah, I always knew it. I think it, you know, it goes back to, I always talk a thing about your art, you know, when, when any of us think about our lives, if, if you're fortunate and, and I hope all of us are that you kind of look back and you see, you know, those, those, people those either their teachers or coaches or some other adults in your life as you're growing up who uh i always equate it to like who 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 shone that light on you they they, they gave you that look they the gaze and you know i i mean and they just saw they 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 looked at your work with value you and and, and they gave approval and you just wanted to 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 feel that light on them. And I mean, it was, mm-hmm. like I say, my high school English coach slash teacher, uh, coach Drennan, uh, who really taught me about, uh, literature, but uh, I mean, I even had like a third grade teacher and my fifth grade teacher, like I'm, I, who two years ago, I went back home and I called her up. I hadn't seen her since my book came out and, uh, I took her to lunch and, and, you know, course i still have to call her miss colzer because i just you know you can't it's like you yeah. those people in your life who uh and i just i got so choked up talking to her because i just said i remember just like feeling her you know she she used to uh, uh, make us memorize a poem once a month and stand up before the class and, and say it but you know then the, the other things i'd write and, and just what um what a light she shone on it and then made me feel like I had talent and, you know, you get it, you get that validation, right. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a writer or anything you do and, 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 uh, from the right people. And you just, you just, it's, 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 it fuels you. Right. Did you ever feel like you had the, something I've, I don't want to say struggled with, but had sort of gnawing at me all along was that I'm not a writer and did you ever have that feeling where you like the the self doubt of actually you know being a actual writer or making this uh, your career? 
every day, Michael. <laughs> and I'm not saying that glibly, like it just is, you know, every day it's just like, I don't know, am I, what is this? You know, and I would, and, and you know, case in point, which I would, I, I, all the years I was at GQ, you know, 20 years or uh, just about, uh, I would say like the first 10 that I was there, I never wrote really for GQ because I was too, there were all these great writers there and everyone was talented. And I just felt, I I didn't know my voice. I didn't know what I could dream. And I was very much, uh, you know, the, the definition of the shadow artist, right? Back then it was just like, I could, I knew how to make other people's writing better. Mm-hmm. But any writing I did, I did off on the side and by myself and in workshops and not professionally, like for uh, journalistically and, and, you know, to be on, you know, magazine with other big names was like, I could never do this. And, uh, you know, it was really, but then Jim Nelson was like, you should be writing more. And, you know, again, I, I, maybe I'm just a person who needs someone to give me uh, validation or, 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 or permission or approval, which I think a lot of people do. Um, so, you know, you, you, cause you just need someone to say what you're doing is good. And it's yeah. that sense of permission. And, and, and sometimes it comes from in your career. Sometimes it comes early. I'll, I mean, I'll tell you this story. I mean, speaking of people who I think you, you, a couple of years ago when I was at GQ, I, excuse me, at Esquire, I interviewed Bruce Springsteen for a story. And at the end of it, I'd sat with him for like four hours in his dressing room backstage and uh, when he was on Broadway. And at the end of it, I thought to myself, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret this the rest of my life. And it was, uh, I thought, because I'm like, no, Mike, you can't do this. This is just like, and I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I just turned to him and I said, I have to tell you something really important right now. He looked at me like, and we're, we're, it was this dressing room was so small. We were literally, were in, in these old Broadway dressing rooms are tiny. We were sitting knee to knee on, uh, on two chairs, like knocking against each other. And I said to him, I said, you know, I have to tell you something. So I said, when I grew up, uh, I was like 10 or 12 years old and I had an older brother and uh, he had, your albums. He had born, you know, born to run and darkness on the edge of the town. And I remember I said, I remember sneaking into his room and putting the, when he, I wait till he was gone because I want to sneak in the room. And I put the LP of darkness on the edge of town on and I'd play it over and over. And I said, you know, I was growing up in this crappy house in a crappy neighborhood of Chicago, raised by a single mother. And I was writing in my little notebook every day, like 10, 12 years old, like things I'd seen and things I thought about. And I wanted to be a writer. And I thought like, well, no, like what I'm writing about, this is not what writing is. But then I hear what you were singing about, like cars and streets and neighborhoods and trying to escape that. And I said, it just made me feel like I was a voice that was, knew what I was thinking. And I said, I just want to tell you, like, you made a difference in my life. It made me think that I could write. And I started, like, I started to choke up and I couldn't finish saying it. And he just, I, he looked at me and, and he took my, he put his hand on the back of my neck and he pressed his forehead against my forehead. 
and he looked me dead in the eye, like this close. And he said, that is a beautiful story, man. And thank you for telling me that because that's what it's all about. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, he must say this. And he said, he said, I'm gonna tell you something. He said, every night before the band went out, we'd always, we had, I made a tradition. We'd stand backstage and we'd link arms and we'd talk about what we're gonna do that night. And I'd always tell him, I said, just remember tonight, there's some 15 year old kid up in the top row, in the last row, in the highest balcony. And this might be the night we change his life. He's like, that's so that's amazing. You're that kid. And that's what I think all of us, we find that permission in people we love and pe- whose who's work we love, right? Do, do you ever think about that you're standing in this tiny room, like backstage, like <laughs> with Bruce Spring- Springsteen pressing his head against you, like having this intimate moment? Yeah. <laughs> like how, I mean, just. Yeah, it, no, I, I'm a completely, and I share it now because I think it's not to say I am cool, but to say this is cool. And I want to share yeah, I yeah. Hope, the, the inspiration. And, and like, we don't often get to meet those people who who make that difference. But yeah, you know, that you're, you're supposed to be wary of meeting your heroes. Yeah. And yet, if you choose the right heroes, I think. <laughs> They are those people, right? You know, it's funny because I've met a, I've met a few of my heroes, and and almost every experience has been bad. Um, and now I'm very <laughs> skeptical of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I think that's it. Speaks to who Bruce is as a person, though. Too, um, I think a lot For of sure. times people can't. You know, I think the depending on who the artist is or who the person is, like it's hard to probably absorb those things, you know, on a regular basis, right? And to you know. You know, I, yeah, like I think, if you think about it from their perspective, if you're an awkward person and even in the slightest way, like that could be a difficult thing to probably cope with, right? From their side, even though it's like a very wholesome, beautiful, you know, expression that you you shared with them, right? Yeah, and I think it's some of our heroes or whether they're known or, or, or not known to the world, it's how much, I mean, Look, Springsteen is a guy who's done a lot of years on the couch with, you know, figuring out who he is. So I think he's a guy who's his authentic self and has known what it's like to sort of wrestle with one's identity, right? And so Mm -hmm. he's a guy who I would imagine who, when he encounters someone sharing something deeply personally, he's like, he's tuned into that frequency, right? Other people are like, yeah, whatever, man, it's all, it's like, yeah, to them, yeah. it's maybe it's an act, right? Yeah. Uh, but the authentic self recognizes authentic selves in other people. Yeah. When you when you have an assignment like that, right, to like go interview Bruce, and you know it's tied to something he's doing, like the the Broadway show, um, is do you have to? Is is it difficult to sort of figure out like a way into that sort of you know that sort of story? Like, how do you frame it? Or, I mean, do you kind of have to wait and see? you know, until you get there and, and see how it goes. Yeah. It's a mixture. I think, um, I always kind of know questions I want to ask, uh, just cause I think like this will be fertile territory, mm-hmm. uh, based on my research. I do an incredible amount of research, you know, compiling a file, a biographical file. It's almost like you want to just know as much as you can about them and then i think to me it's about 
thinking about what haven't they talked about, which they might be hiding, or what have they and it, it talked about so long ago that, oh, wait a minute, uh, that's interesting. They never, they, they never talked about that again because everyone, and, 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 and then you sort of work forward from there and you, but you also have to listen and then you see what's revealed and thing. But, you know, the, the idea, like, I mean, I'll give you the, a broad example of how not to approach an interview and with someone. And that is like the first real interview I ever had to do with GQ. And again, Jim walks in my office and he says, he says, uh, I want you to do a, 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 an interview. I said, Oh, with who? He said, he said, Keith Richards. And I was like, I thought to myself, I said to him, I said, Jim, there are much bigger music heads on this staff. I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I know what I like, but I'm, he's like, I'm like, I'm sorry. There's a lot of other people who should write this. And he says, no, you should write it. I said, why? I said, because I think you'd be really good on it. I mean, he just, and that was one of Jim's many gifts. He just had this instinct. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I went to see Richards and we did the interview. He has this office, quote unquote, up above uh, uh, on the 11th floor of this building in Soho. And we sat on this love seat right next to each other. And uh, here's a question you don't want to ask Keith Richards, which I didn't, which is like, it's like, and what was it like when you wrote Satisfaction, man? Because like, he's been asked that eight zillion times. He's on autopilot if you, if you ask that question. But I, so I said to him, I said, I said, who, I said, here's the question, Keith. I said, so, I mean, you're in, you're arrested. Like, like back in the seventies, he was arrested for heroin. I said, I said, if you were arrested now and you had one phone call to make, who do you call? Like, who is that person? And he just, he looked at me and he said, and he, he started to, to choke up. I was like, what? I just sat there. And he said, he said, well, up until about a year ago, I would have said me mom. And I said, you're telling me Keith Richards calls his mother when he's in jail <laughs> for heroin possession. And he just said, you don't understand. He said, I wouldn't have my life if it wasn't for my mother. My mother came home one day, like we had no money and I wanted a guitar and she saved money and she bought a secondhand guitar for me. And she came home and she helped me to play it. And he said, up until the day she died, like three months ago, I went every day and played. And it was just like, that's, he played, he played guitar in her hospital room as she was dying, right? And like, so that's an example of just, you have to think about how to, how to make this real connection with that person. Mm -hmm. And it takes thinking about what is a, what is this? What is it? What is it? Don't ask about. People never want to ask about what they've really done, the big stuff. What they want to have is a conversation about what really matters. Then we have to figure out how to hit that place. Yeah. And, and you know, it makes sense what you're saying. It's like, don't, you know, it's like if you ask a professional athlete about, you know, something in the game, like you'll just get like the auto response. They're on autopilot, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like a locker room interview. Yeah. Right. It's amazing, like how good all of those players are, though, now, too. You see, like, you know, LeBron is like the king of like, 
you know, giving that like, he, you know, they, he just knows exactly what to say. He's like done it so many times and like, you're never even, you're not actually getting anything out of that, but it's interesting. It's like when you can, you know, work something out of someone like that, then it becomes like very valuable, right? And really interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think LeBron's an interesting example. Like he's a guy who, to me, he's, he knows at the post game conference, press conference, where he'll talk about the game, quote unquote, and what he did and what his performance was. But he's, I think why he inspires so many people is he's also chosen moments to speak about incredibly personal things or incredibly important things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I intersect and, uh, you, you know, and, and just to realize he, he can, uh, he, he can lead on those things. And, 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 uh, so I think, I think, I think he, he sees too. I, I, I mean, this is just my speculation, but I think he sees people like Muhammad Ali and the fact that, you know, what makes Muhammad Ali like the greatest of all time was that he also, not just being the greatest boxer, he transcended the sport, right. And put himself, right. you know, like at, at, at personal sacrifice, like large personal sacrifice, you know, commented on a lot of big, big issues and took a stand against Vietnam and all these things, um, you know, in civil rights. And so I think like LeBron sees that as like a model to some degree too. Right. And, and sees, you for know, sure it's on him to be that person at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And just see, you know, you're, just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you exist apart from society. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. So when you were at GQ and you started to do these, were the first things you contributed to the magazine, like interviews or. Yeah, they were pretty much all I did was Q and A's because even then, see, like, I didn't really want to write features. I just felt like that's for those other guys over there. I just was very, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not being disingenuous. I, I, I was very, uh, nervous and, 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 and guarded about putting my voice on, in, in, in the arena with all these other people. So, uh, I just thought, well, I'll just do Q and A's because I can get the substance of things, but I don't really have to quote unquote, write. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, and then, so then, you know, that's a, a perfect segue to, to your book, right after visiting friends um mm-hmm. which is maybe the most personal thing one could possibly ever uh write right 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 for sure yeah uh no and i like i said was when i say like kept things off to the side earlier like yeah i thought well i'll just channel it all over here because it's one thing also that again because it was so incredibly personal i wanted to control it or at least yeah crawl you know make it as in in and you know i couldn't see just doing it as a magazine piece um so i say that also just to people you know i think sometimes there's this urge to uh, and 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 you feel in in our social media world this pressure to like get it out there right now and maybe it is but also like don't if you just want to keep it you know under wraps for a while and and uh show it to only a few people that's there's nothing wrong with that either and, and let it gestate and then choose your moment when it's going to come out it's smart well, so what was your process like for writing the book did you did you write it over a long period of time and then have it complete and then show it to someone or what was it like 
I wrote it over a period of about eight or nine years. Um, and and it, because it was one part of it was I was reporting and had to sort of find what I was looking for and then had the day job. And, you know, so I would just, I would write every day. I'd get up in the morning early and usually write from about like five until seven. And then, um, and I had a friend, uh, Andrew Essex, who I would, he was the one who told me I should write something. And so I started off just by giving him pages every once in a while. And, mm. you know, again, you need, you need that encouragement. You need that someone to say, this is good. Like, or to make you accountable, you know, because I think that's part of doing it alone is you don't, uh, I'd always think like how, how often in our lives we'll show up for all this other bullshit, but we won't show up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 show up for you know what you really want to do but like oh gotta be at this meeting today and you know you'll get on there like you and then you but if you say ah i'm gonna write this today or i'm gonna you know learn how to work on my game today or I'm like ah, that slides off the table and yet your commitment to yourself is the most and your work is the most important thing whether it is like i say writing a book or want to improve your forehand or be there for your kids, you know, yeah. it's, it's that kind of commitment to, to those things that, that matter to you. Do you get, are there, you know, are there a lot of residual reactions that you get now? The book's been out for, I guess it's been, I'm not sure the like, exact uh, published eight, eight, eight or nine years. Yeah. I think. Eight years. Yeah. Um, um, no, I still get, I, um, it's, I'm, 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 I, I, I'm, 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 I'm I, it means a lot to me. I still get people who reach out to me in email and I just did a book group for some people in England who chose to read it uh, oh, cool. via Zoom. Um, and I'm also, you know, I'm currently working on uh, with a, I have a screenwriting partner uh, in LA who optioned the book. And so we're working on the adapting it now. And that's been another uh, 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 connection with the book, or yeah. another way of, of 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 looking at it now. So that's been, yeah, that's been I, my lockdown. I really, too. I really love the book. Um, it's it's interesting. One, it's one of those books that I can recommend to almost anyone. And then, and you do, and you're and, my best publicist, Michael. No, but I get so many. I'll tell people. I'll say, you know, I was very moved by the book, and it it felt even deeper because I know you, but also if I didn't know you, I think I would have, I just really connected with it. And there's still a lot of things in there that I think about almost, you know, all the time. And it's one of those things where I recommend the book to someone and in the rare situation where they'll come back later and say, you know, you recommended this book to me and I loved it. It's, it's that rare thing where you actually, you, as the, as someone to even recommend it, you get the fulfilling sort of circularity of that coming back. Um, that's, so, that's cool. I mean, it's a beautiful really story cool. and, and just so well done and so personal and, and you, moving in a lot of ways. Um, I think about your mom picking you up from the airport, you know, and stuff like that. And I don't know, maybe I connected um, with a lot of that Midwestern stuff though, too. Well, if, it, if, if the screenplay goes well, that's like, that's like the second scene in there is me waiting at the airport, which is just for the, for the pickup in the Buick. You know, just, <laughs> I think we all I think we all know that I, I, I just maybe we connect with it because it's like we all know that feeling of going home and uh, it's to so say, I, I mean, 
you go home and you still feel like you're 12 years old or something. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's easy to fall. It's funny. We, um, you know, it's, we're around our family with, with our kids and, you know, you just fall back into the, you know, your role with your parents and, or with your, you know, it's like, I see my wife do that and I see, I do it. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's funny that that happens and it's almost unavoidable, you know, to do. Yeah. I have this theory. I, I tested on you, but I have this theory that we all have, uh, like we, when we go home, we all have a psychic age that we're frozen at that we we assume that age. Like, and for me, it's somewhere between like ten and twelve, and uh, and even like my frustrations and the way I get like pissed off at stuff. It's just, <laughs> I, did you have that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely. I think up to a certain point. I, I think I did break out of the the relationship with my parents at a certain point where I felt like right. I always kind of felt like a child. Um, Cause I, I just didn't, I really didn't act. I actively did not like that feeling. And I think like, I yeah. think we talked about it at a certain point and then eventually things changed. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good, that theory like makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so the, so it's interesting to, you've worked at all of these, you know, you've worked at GQ and you worked at Esquire and now you're at Airmail uh, and, you know, obviously working on other things and you've, you know, done art along the way and, and, you know, the book has been a huge success. I mean, if you look at your, your career path and just, you've seen these, like the, the very interesting days of when general interest magazines were like, larger than anything you know at any point right right? and there's what i always think of is like the black car culture where it was like black you know when edit the editor jobs were really well paid you had amazing access like there's just so much and there's always a black car waiting for you to take you wherever you know wherever you wanted to go um and then to see like how the world has changed since then is kind of interesting to be on both sides of it right Absolutely. It was, you know, uh, no, it's, I, 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 and I said, it is like, it was, and, and to be on both sides and also be living through it. And, you know, it's sort of like, huh, I think things are changing right now. You know, it's, it's, it's like human beings are not very good at uh, imagining like, sort of like, you know, like, oh, look, there's a comet streaking across the sky. I'm a dinosaur. I think it's just like, huh, a lot of ash falling out of the sky right now. What's happening here? <laughs> uh, uh, no, I mean, it, I, look, I, I, it was an, you know, you were there. It was an incredible period, uh, and 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 especially in menswear and 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 that piece of it. But, um, but I think to see it go through, it's. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We, some people would say it's a decline. I think some of it is. Um, it I mean, was. I think. I think it's like it it's was. Not, it, it's not a decline in the, in in certain ways. I think it's mostly, you know, all this stuff is sort of underpinned by the business model, and it was like the business right. changed. It wasn't necessarily, you know, the value of the story. You know, I think. Right. No, I think I would like to say to finish my thoughts. Some people say it was a decline. I think it was it was an it was an evolution, and it was gonna you know and you know yeah, I can remember sitting in those meetings like oh look at that a smartphone and what's that gonna and you just could see even among the 
editors, how they were relating to this thing. Like this is all going to shift. So I think that, you know, that I would always argue like what, what magazines did and what they still do, which is tell great narratives um, and tell great profiles. Well, those, those people's hunger for that is still, is probably stronger than ever. The, 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 what's happened though is where they get those stories is on podcasts or, yeah. or uh, eight part miniseries on Netflix or documentaries. You know, the, 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 the storytelling has migrated to different places. Um, and I think a lot of the people who, you know, you and I know and knew like they, they've migrated with that to, to tell it, but um, just because the ad model thinks to, Mark Zuckerberg and you know Sergey and 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 those guys, it's it's doesn't support that anymore. Uh, yeah. As a, or 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 like, when's the last time you found a newsstand? It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know? I, they only yeah. exist at airports. Yeah, I was I was actively trying to, I was trying to remember the other day because I I was I was trying to do some research on. Uh, like niche publications and and I was curious like what's out there for niche print publications at the moment and so I was like I'm going to go find a newsstand and then I like went to two that were closed <laughs> either because of COVID right. or because of other factors um, and it's interesting I'm like actively seeking it out and can't find it you know and you know I, that's yeah I mean you think about it like None of us have traveled for more than a year. That was the only place most people saw a newsstand was at an airport. And even then, I would bet if you, I said to people under 30, that's a newsstand, they would like, oh, the place I get my water and my <laughs> my snacks before I, like, it doesn't, it's such an archaic word too, Yeah, unfortunately, but I, I hope not. I mean, I, I, I do believe it's, it, 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 it will survive and, and evolve and come back stronger. It's just been had its teeth kicked out by, by the shifting business model and, the, yeah. you know, figuring out how to, how to, how to fix that. Yeah. I mean, it's been devalued in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I, I personally, I'm, I'm not, I'm a little crazy cause I, you know, I'm a little crazy about like being against algorithmic recommendations I, yeah. You know, which I don't feel, I don't feel fulfilled by that in any, in any place. I don't really enjoy Spotify. Although sometimes I'll be like, I want to listen to this whole album of someone I've never heard in the whole catalogs there. And that's nice, but generally like you can't discover anything naturally, you know, no. it's all like being served to you and I don't really want everything to be served. Um, you know, it's, so it's in that sense, like the, the printed, you know, anything is nice and, you know, I'm actively like not trying to be on my phone on the weekend around our kids. Like you can read the newspaper, even though you're not paying attention to anyone, but like it's, it feels less intrusive than looking at your phone, you know? Well, of course. No. And I, I mean, I think I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause I've like, you know, when I'm, I read only books and, and only three print newspapers and I don't do it to sound cool. It's just like, I think there's a different way you, 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 there's a different, especially when reading print and even like walking through a, 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 a bookstore rather than waiting for Kindle to serve you something, there's just a different way I, can say for myself, but probably for you as well, that I discover, right? And it's, it's, it's the accidental discoveries. You just turn a corner of a bookshelf and there's like, oh, what is this, right? Yeah. 
uh, versus, well, if you like this, you'll like that, you know? And yeah, I think I, I, I like that discovery process. It gives me, gives me, because I don't know what I'm going to discover. It's just, it's just, it's a better feeling, better connections. Right. Just to switch gears a little bit. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, you mentioned menswear, but I'm, I'm always, I'm always very curious and, and honestly, I know you, but I'm always wondering like, what does your closet look like? How many, cause I see you wear a lot of the same things frequently in a way, right. in, a, in a good way, right? Not like you're, it's it, by choice, not, not by poverty, right? Uh, yeah, by choice, but it's informed by a childhood of thriftiness, right? <laughs> Probably like you, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting though, like what, what's your, so what's your relationship with, you know, with clothing? Relationship? Uh, I I think it goes back to what I just what you just touched on is is it's like it's by probably informed by growing up you know as I said raised by a single mother not much money and like we really like I think one thing I couldn't escape on like you talk about escaping relationships with our parents and, and dynamics but uh, I just you know we got like two pairs of pants a year and that was it and then a pair of shoes and 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 so I. I think I figured out pretty early, like, okay, I'm going to pick the right one that I really like and that I know is going to give me the most, the most run for its money and the most value and look cool. And, but, and so I never really bought trends then. It was more about figuring out like what's, what's good and sounds weird for a kid who's 10 or 12, but I would drive my mom crazy because I kept, but no, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. No, like, you know, and, and I find she's like, okay, look, here's $20. You go buy your pants. And I'd ride, get on my bike and I'd ride around and look for what I wanted. So I think that's my, re- and then, you know, so I think it probably, what do the fancy kids say now is like, you know, buy quality and which is true. And, and, you know, buy less, buy better is I guess how I always look at it. I just yeah. could never figure out how to buy a lot of stuff. You know, it just seemed. Yeah, that's that's interesting. No, I don't. I don't. You know, think anyone's ever sort of put it that way to me, where the stakes were very high for them buying things, right? Like, because you need this is all you're getting, and you need to really live like it and live with it. So it's not like some, you know, if you don't like it, you'll get something else. Yeah, I also. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I've. It's funny. What's your relationship? If Brooke, my wife, is like, you have a very complicated relationship because, like, I'll also buy stuff, and I'll leave it in my closet for like two years, <laughs> like with the tags on it. Uh, and Brooke's like, "What are you going to wear that?" I'm like, "I don't know. Not re- not ready yet. It's not time yet." Just because, like, I think, like, once I start to wear it, it starts to like. I, I hope it's, and then I baby things. So I'm just very because I'm. I was like, I would always think like. If I get a tear in it or something, that's going to be bad. My mom's going to be mad at me. (laughs) I won't be able to fix it. I can't, I can't ask for a new one then. It's funny. It's funny what we all carry around, you know, just in our heads. Um, Yeah. So where do you, where do you shop from typically? I I see I'm looking, we're on zoom just so everyone knows and I can see what you're wearing in it. And you're wearing this button down Oxford cloth dress shirt. 
and it looks the color looks really nice so i see the little the little wave in the collar right yeah you know what this is but this shirt is because it's just one of my my things that drive me crazy maybe you can like you can't find a good pink oxford cloth button down can you and like brooks brothers used to do them they don't like but anyway so i'm fortunate where through my work in through the years i got to be very nice friends with uh Anne marie colban who who owns charvet shirts in paris and whenever i go to paris i'd always have a very nice visit with her most of the time just to have to have breakfast or lunch and chat about life because she was very like many of the people we meet in, our, in this business they're who they are is much more interesting all of a sudden or it's just as interesting what they do right but mm -hmm. it's not always about the work and i was just telling once like why can't we and so she i so i found like an old i said and i want the the the, the button down could be like that 60s 70s brooks brothers a little deeper role than that so she found it and helped copy it for me oh, cool. that, that's who made this and shirt yeah did they, did they put i mean i think a lot of that comes down to see my shirt in comparison i'm wearing a gitman shirt and it doesn't right. have the role um but it, but see how it comes to a point there it's a little yeah and it's a little deeper right and i said because i wanted that it's even see how it gives you that little pucker in there that's what you want right <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the the people that know, know, but, you know, that you look for that role. And, and part of that is like what's in the collar, right? It's like part of it's the interfacing inside. Yeah, exactly. To make it floppy, but not too floppy. So it'll kind of hold its shape, but also bend a little bit. It's like. Yeah, and that's where it's got a little bit of, what is, what is it? What do you just call it? It's inside there. I always forget that. It's interfacing. Uh, interfacing. I want to say basting, but it's not basting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Charvet yeah. is interesting. Like, I think Coggins always says that you can, um, you know, like they'll make you like pajamas or like you can kind of just go with like anything that's in your heart. They'll make you anything. I'll tell you what, here's the funny thing. I once was in there, right? I have to, uh, I'll tell this story maybe because I think this guy, uh, <laughs> wait, hold on, hold on, let me, let me see if he's still alive. Uh, <laughs> it's always a good sign if you can't really tell a story until someone's uh, passed. Uh, yeah, he's still alive. Okay, so I won't mention his name. So I'm in there once, and when you go up to the cutting room on the, I think it's the fourth floor, it's like nothing but like this whole giant room of rainbows of fabrics, right? Like checks and blues and like it's all started by color there's there's the blue section there's the yellow the red the pinks and you know these beautiful bolts of fabric if you look on their instagram account you can see them um and when you when you you know people come in there they'll buy they'll get shirts made eight ten a dozen at a time mm -hmm. the really wealthy people um and once there was i'm standing there talking to her and there's like 10 bolts of fabric and i just kind of noticed i was like I made a joke and I said, oh, look, it's like green, yellow, blue. It's like, it's like someone must really like the Brazilian colors of the Brazilian flag. And she said, oh, do you know blank? I said, yeah, I know blank. And she said, he gets, and this is a very famous Brazilian person and artist. And she said, he, I make all his boxer shorts in the colors of the Brazilian flag. So that's, it's like, 
I'm like, wow, that's a luxury, you know? But, and then right next to it was a whole bunch of white fabric for Sofia Coppola, who I guess gets all her shirts made there. But Amazing. Um, so, yeah. Is, Char- is Charvet still family owned? I should probably know this. Does like, yeah. does someone it's, have like a small stake in it or something? No, it's Anne-Marie and her brother uh, who in, took it over from their father who bought it after the war hmm. uh, from the former owners. Uh, and in fact, you know, that corner that it's on there at Place Vendôme, which is, you know, the Ritz is across mm-hmm. the way. And then of course, but like, you know, and it used to be, I always thought this is such a great setting for like some kind of um, espionage thing, but she, upstairs, we go upstairs there where her her brother's office is. There's this, it's all wood paneled and um, there's this map of the world, but it's all inlaid wood, right? And I once said like, what is that? Like, what's that from? Like, what do you guys have? And she said, oh, this, this up until the 50s, the building was the Bank of America in Paris building was their headquarters, right? Hmm. And so this is like the director's office. And, but then they bought it from Bank of America in the, in the sixties, right? Which is, she said like, it was nothing, right? And now of course, like there's a mess every time, everyone like, it's like, they own the building and, uh, and they own the, and, and I think they, and I think the R knows and people try and buy them every year. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Like, it's like Hermes were like, they're trying, always trying to like, you know, someone's always trying to buy it, you know, out from control of the yeah. family. It's interesting, like the French are able to, to the French are so focused on craftsmanship, though, that thing. And obviously, Sorry. there's like, it's a big luxury thing, but um, that, you know, it seems like the culture there really supports brands and businesses like that, that have, you know, had these, they never sort of like wavered on craft and everything didn't move to China at a certain point, you know, which is interesting. Yeah. No, they 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 truly support that atelier model, right? And I think Italy does to some degree, from what I understand. You probably know better than I do, but I think it's you know they, where it seems to me Paris they they assemble they they bring the people on staff, and from what I understand, to some degree, from people I know who work in the houses in in Italy is. They're, they're, they're sourced out to mom, mom and pops who work in their apartments, right? So they're individual contractors who are doing the beading on those couture gowns or some of those things. Um, so uh, as the Americans said, the supply chain is more diffused there. But, mm-hmm. but I think in both senses, I think the good thing is it's supported by the government to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, I think that, that that's true. And, you know, if you go to every town, it's in Italy specifically, I mean, dressing is a, is a cultural thing that is handed from fathers to sons and the appreciation of it is built in. And, you know, I think as Americans, we have a different relationship with clothing, right? It's more, and if you look at American contributions to, to clothing, it's mostly like work-related or function-related or it's a different right. thing. It's not right. as maybe as emotional in the same way. Yeah. What was, did you have an experience like when you first, uh, were you ever like in your early days of traveling to Italy for work in your job? Like, did you ever have one of those moments where you're sitting at a table like in 
at, at, a, at a lunch in pity or something and you look across the table at the Italian guy and you feel like a slob You're like oh my god like that's how I'm supposed like didn't you like yeah not a slob you think like yeah you think like wow okay I like I've got turnips falling out of my ears I'm the country mouse <laughs> and this is like like yeah always she's like always right I think still like, oh you know? and, and I'm not talking like these these pity peacocks and all that. I'm just talking like just the guys who to me they managed to distill that like the best of English and then American wasp and then it's like it's a Johnny and Yelly look like this but like it's just all thrown away style yeah like, just like the easy elegance yeah I think you know two two things you know it's like if you look at Steve McQueen as like a style icon right as a movie star right you know, it wasn't an accident that he was looking the way that he looked and dressed the way he dressed and it was very calculated right so he knows what he's doing as a movie star um, right so i think the italians to some degree have a much more sort of natural built-in aptitude to to being stylish right and putting it together and understanding the colors and the way it all works and like Agnelli, like seemed very effortless to your point, you know, and I think it wasn't, it wasn't all an accident, right? It was there, they're calculated and maybe there's some vanity in there. Um, right. So th there's that, but I also think, uh, you know, it, interestingly, like I'll go to Italy and before I w ever went to Italy, I knew nothing about it. I was exposed to nothing. Like it's like Japan, all these places, like I never had eaten sushi until I was 23 or something, you know, and like, like never was exposed to anything and made me very curious about all this stuff. But I go, if I go to Milan, it's like the bankers are very inspiring to me. It's like just wearing all Navy blue and the way that it's done in the simplest yeah. form is always very interesting to me. And I think like, if they can do this with just one color, you know, like that, you know, this shows like just how, how special it is. You know, and it's like, if you look at bankers in New York, you know, you're generally not inspired, you know, it's a different beast. Yeah, no, I, even, even like the black car drivers in Milan, right? It's like, this guy's like, oh, how come you're a driver, which is a profession there, obviously, but like, mm -hmm. and wow, your shirt, your shirt fits so well. Like you're like, you're like, your shoes are like, what is that? You know, like, and I'm like, what the, what the hell is wrong with me? Uh, Maybe. But yeah, they, I I think you're hitting it. They also have the they also have the tradition of bella figura, right? Which is like a man who is wants to look good in clothes, not showy offy, but just like you're expected to, right? And 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 mm -hmm. that's that's part of that's part of being successful, mm -hmm. I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you know, I think American men have maybe a challenged relationship with you know complicated yeah yeah i mean it's like with a yeah. lot of things it's like the only time I, I think about this frequently i don't know the answer to this and i don't really have like an end game here but you know it's like the only time you can ever show emotion with your like straight male friends is watching sports you know which i think mm -hmm. is th that typically seems like that was like the limit right and so i think like we have this complicated relationship with emotion and with you know all of these things friendship and and whatever and then style is mixed into that too and it becomes like very complicated where you'll be teased if you are you know interested in it and that's actually one of the developments i think about now that's interesting is we're kind of beyond all of those phases where it's like if you have a bag you're like 
you know, there's you're interested in fashion and that's bad or something, you know? Yeah. I, th- I, I feel like you and I kind of lived through that moment where it, 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 it crossed over. Right. And I feel like the athletes certainly um, in the last 10, 15 years helped to uh, mainstream that thing, you know, where mm-hmm. it was again, like, it's funny, like it was guys just to communicate by talking about sports, but all of a sudden, you know, like the, the, the pregame arrival of whether it's Tom Brady in his Tom Ford suit or LeBron wearing Tom Brown, you know, like, and, or just like, what it's the shoes, what are the bags? Like those guys, when they became style influencers, what do you want to call them or icons? Like people started being, and like it, it made it, uh, it, it made it more aspirational in that sense. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it helped, I think kind of change God, certainly the generation behind us, you know, that that makes something like that whole culture possible now, where, where, where the street style is and how, how, how Gen Zers relate to fashion, I think. In yeah. A good way. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's a positive development that everyone's like more open-minded to it and it's not really a thing yeah. anymore, which is good. Hey, speaking of Tom Brown, didn't you used to see him like every day? Didn't you have like a habitual <laughs> breakfast situation and he yeah was... well and we also we both used to live in the same building and but of course we both uh but we yes but uh <laughs> used to see each other very often uh but uh would you guys talk so, well, I mean, now would you, would you talk when you saw him or you just it would be the head nod and read your paper and no no we'd talk i mean i think we consider each other um like family at this point so i mean uh we do consider each other family and he's, he's, he's a great person. And I think, you know, Tom's, yeah, I, I consider him a brother. So, um, and I think he does with me as well. So he's a, uh, you know, and again, one of those people who it's funny, like, but as close as I am, my, my Brooke, my wife, I mean, her relationship goes way back. Like she knew him, uh, when he was, a rep for Armani uh, mm. and she used to, when she was still living in Chicago, buying uh, as a fashion direct, men's fashion director for Marshall Fields. And she would be his Armani rep and she would come to New York and see him in the showroom. And um, that's when he was uh, <laughs> taking his Armani suits that he had to wear. And basically you could see as Brooke said, like he, would, he was cutting them really short and pinning them and like fucking with them. Uh, and and getting the early ideas for what he was going to do with his suits. I mean, it's amazing. He's like, if you think about what he did with the silhouette of a suit, right? Taking this very conservative, conformity-driven thing and then just completely right. flipping it in a way that no one could have expected, right? And the impact that that had was incredible. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, I, I, I always, there's a lot of things I would say about his influence and impact and importance and it's whatever kind of creative endeavors you're pursuing in your life i think what's what's to me so cool about what tom's is like he is an example of like i'm gonna do my thing and i mean he he literally remade the world in his image Mm -hmm. you know i mean because of clothes, but I mean, he made the world like it was so weird and now it's so normal. And so 
Like he, he, he re-educated people's eyes to a different silhouette. And now you can't, and, 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 and wow, that is talk about an achievement, but I think it's, it's an inspiration for, again, whether you're a musician or a filmmaker or a writer or whatever you do in your life, it's just like, you see it one way, do it. And people will recognize it, I think. And, and that, that's what he was laughed at for so long. And now it's, it's, it's part of the institutions. Yeah. And it's interesting that, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but it's, it hasn't evolved. Like if you look at the brand and I think it's, I'm not sure what his relationship is with the brand at this point, but if you look at even the style of it as it exists today, it's still very similar to what it once was. And it still looks cool, even though I, I can't wear it and it's not my thing. I still think like I see, you know, they'll do photo shoots and I'm like, this stuff looks amazing. It still looks yeah. cool, you know? Yeah, I think he's, if it, this is like, this is the view. This is, you know, and it, I think it evolves at different times in different ways, but there's that core. I mean, I would always, I'm probably not the first person, but it, to me, it's a little bit like Chanel, right? Which is, there is the basic Chanel look and then it, and then each season it kind of, you know, the runway show will mess with it. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you go into Chanel and you want, Chanel that's going to last 50 years you can buy or you can buy something that's of the of the season as well yeah yeah that's that's interesting you know I think about Black Fleece too and and Tom Brown's collaboration with Brooks Brothers and you know all the any anything negative anyone wants to say about Del Vecchio if you look at that as a concept I mean that was sure. just so well done and so interesting and good and just down to the name and everything the shop on Bleecker it was really yeah. cool yeah, no, that was, you're right. That was a, the name was awesome and the logo was awesome. And I mean, I still have ties from there. And I mean, that was, you were basically getting Tom Brown stuff at half the price. Yeah. You know, yeah. Quarter it, of the price, probably. But, and it's amazing if you look at Brooks Brothers and it's like it's a billion dollars, they're doing a billion dollars in revenue and it doesn't work, you know, which is crazy. Like, how yeah. big does something need to be to work? Although I'm excited to see what Michael Bastian's going to do now. Yeah. You know, I am, I am too. I, I think it's a good choice. I was concerned about what was going to happen to the brand in general. Um, it's funny today. Yeah. I was, I was looking at shirts that I bought when they announced that Garland, the shirt factory was going to close. I bought a bunch of shirts. And so now I have like brand new in the plastic, like five shirts, you know, and, and today I was looking at them and thinking like, I'm actually really happy I did this, but um, it's just kind of interesting. Like how many times am I going to go through like one of these things I like, you know, closing. Cause yeah. I, you know, I think back about like all these factories closing along the way. And it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that the way it's the way things are going, but yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, it'll be good for Mike. It's good that Michael's there. And I think, you know, he's got an amazing vision. I hope it, I, ho I hope it turns out. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy who's, got a great vision and, and he you know from he just saw it in his own life i think he loves prep and american and but knew how to sort of spin it forward in a in and and and, and i i think he'll i mean his enthusiasm for that vocabulary mm -hmm. that's 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 what's really important you know so 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 um where else do you shop where else do you buy things from? We want to know. Charvet for your shirts. What about? Um, uh, no, I, 
uh, get a lot of things at Drake's these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, also like the armory. I mean, but like, uh, and then, uh, I'm putting you like? on the spot. You have to rattle things off. You know, you, you don't have to, yeah. you, you don't have to tell us brands. It's hard to, hard to come up with these things. But I, I think about, I think about when I would see you in, you know, a sport coat that was just really well, you could tell it's like well-worn, well-loved. Um, a lot of those are Ralph. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, again, like I think people, but Ralph, like I used to go into Ralph and, and of course it's, it's the, the trick was like to, to go into the fabric books and then tell them to make something. And that sounds really like a rich man's thing, but it's not. It just is like you can get something, you just have to know what you want, and it's cost the same as something off the rack usually. Yeah. Um, but this is back, like, oh, why does why don't you do a houndstooth coat? Like they don't do it. Like, but you go in the book, they've got the material, and you can just order it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd run into Ralph. He's like, "Where'd you get this?" I'm like, it's yours. So, <laughs> uh, just- that's funny. Um, uh, what do you think your style has changed over like at a certain point, like it evolved to a point and then it sort of froze like your emotional state with your, with your mom. No, I mean, do you think it got to a certain point and then it was, and then it just sort of, you found your style and then you stuck, you've stuck with it. Uh, that's a good question. I think, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I found it. I found the elements of it and then it evolves within that. Right. So, uh, so now it's about like, it used to be a little more, more tailored. Now it's, I mean, to get specific, it'd be like, you know what? I think it's better with soft shoulder jackets. And I think it's better with, you know, a crew neck underneath it. And it, but it's, it's still, I'd say much more like Italian english you know it's but and then figuring out how those things are evolving so like okay and like you look at like something like officine general what he's doing there like which is like french prep right like Mm -hmm. oh okay i like i like those cord suits those are pretty great because but it's it's still english meets french meets italian so yeah i think it's looking at uh i mean look I'm never going to wear sneakers with a suit. Like just saying, I'm never going to do it. <laughs> Don't say never, but. Uh, I mean, I think it's I, kind I of. Have, I have a lot of, I have a lot of rules, Michael. That's what, what do you, what are your rules like when you pack? Because, you know, I don't know if you know this Coggins is like a big hater on, uh, he won't use anything with wheels. So he refuses to wheel his luggage and whatever. So he packs like insane. He packs so light. It's crazy. Are you a light packer or are you, I mean, you don't seem to like you, I don't have wheels. I overpack, and I, I but but I stuff everything in a bag that I can carry on my shoulders. <laughs> you never, yeah. never, never have a suitcase. I've had I had suitcases if I've got to do like a two week trip. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, then it's impossible. Like with with Brooke, it's like yeah, we have, but for ninety percent of my trips, I just I I'm of the agreement to like you got to carry your own weight. You know, it's um, uh, so yeah. yeah, and I but I, but I confess to I'm always like eh, bring one more because I'm terrified like you're gonna get to LA and oh, what if I have to do this? What if I do that? And so yeah. I'd rather have, I feel better. And then the weird thing is I get there and I wear two things. <laughs> right? 
What do you, what's your relationship like with LA? <laughs> uh, I love going there. I used to think I was always going to live there. And then I, I, then I think I missed my boat for it. Mixed metaphors. Um, <laughs> LA makes me incredibly melancholy and I when I've when I've tried to identify it I think it comes from there's something being there when the sun is setting and something where I I, I sit there and I think I watch the sun like going down on the west coast and I picture the rest of the continent's already in darkness and there it goes. And like, this is the last light mm-hmm. uh, that hits us. And there's something very existential about it there. Um, and I don't feel that way about sunrises in New York, in New York, but I feel I'm, I am a person who I like to see the sunsets in New York, but they don't hit me as strongly as they do in LA. But um, I love LA. It just makes me feel lonely. I think because it's not, a walking city. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you must have that feeling as a transplanted New Yorker, right? Yeah. There were certain things about spending so much time in New York and being accustomed to and used to and having expectations of certain things that were hard to square with living here. Mm-hmm. And then I think my life has evolved to the point where it fits me better to be here than to be there you know, where I'm at in my life. Um, and, you know, honestly, the biggest thing, the hardest thing for me was um, just waking up and knowing like half of the day was over. Right. Like right. just right. always feeling like so much has already happened. Like if the world was going to end, it would have happened by the time I woke up, you know, so you don't need to stress about it. That's a good point. Yeah. I know that feeling. And so now it's like, you know, but it's, it's a different thing. Like it's, I think I'm, I, I like it. I actually would, I miss New York, but I don't miss living in New York. I much mm-hmm. prefer to live in California. It's like the only place I've ever lived where I feel comfortable, just like from the weather and, you know, it's like the humidity and I don't know, like there's so many days in New York where I'm like so hot and sweaty, climbing upstairs, <laughs> carrying stuff and, you know, can't get the train and it's just like everything. And it's like, I'm just miserable. And that stuff like never happens here, you know? Um, right. It's, you know, so it's, but it's a very different beast. I think like you can't come out here like trying to make it New York because it's just not going to be, you know? And, and you can golf 10 months a year now. You can golf. Yeah. You can golf all year. 12 months you know, a year. The probably. thing about, the thing about New York is it's always there if you want it, you know, just fly and get it. That's true. Yeah. You know? So and the thing about LA is you can always, it's always there if you want it, which is like, uh, you know, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've come, I used to get so lonely there uh, because I'm just a walker and I'm a very much, alone, you know, which what I like about New York is I can be alone in a crowd. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, like a day like today, like uh, I gotta go clear my head. I'll take a walk for 45 minutes, which I still do in LA when I'm there, but yeah, it's just a weird, different walk. You know, you're not really, there's no destination oftentimes. Yeah. I mean, I think about um, that. I walk over to like a place, you know, not far from here. And, you know, in New York, this would be like a non-walk, you know, like to walk right. anywhere. You you know, I, I miss the days where I would go to dinner in Midtown and walk all the way home. Walk home. Yeah. Right. For no reason. Right. Or like you do that on a Saturday, you go up to Barney's and you walk, you know, all the way downtown or whatever. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, I, that sort of thing, it's like, you can't, that's something that can't be replaced anywhere else. That's like kind of only a New York thing. No, but you could also then let's go drive Mulholland, you know, and yeah. just do that. And I mean, it's a different sort of. I drive down to, I drive Chautauqua where the Ames case study house is, and I'll drive down and you get that first view of the Pacific down Chautauqua. Yeah. And uh, every time I do it, I'm like, you know, it, it, my heart races a little bit, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That is, and that's just that, that beauty there, which I think that a lot of people don't identify, but it's, yeah. it's, it's beautiful there's, there's those those shots of beauty that are in nature that are there we're just so um it's like sometimes i like just sitting on the uh, in the in there and like i could probably like a day like today where it's crystal blue sky out there and just seeing all the jets you know landing at lax and the, and the contrails in the sky and in the pacific it's just it's, it's gorgeous yeah i think it's that's, a it's a pretty understand. place there's there's you know yeah. it's an amazing just California as a place is, is amazing. Um, yeah. But it's different, you know, but uh, for sure. It's been, it's been nice talking to you. Thanks for taking the time to. Thanks for having me, Michael. I miss you, but it's, this has been the best thing. Maybe next time we'll see each other. It'll be either in Europe or New York. Yeah. I hope, I hope it's, uh, I hope we'll. Or LA. I hope, I hope it's anywhere. We just actually are with each other. <laughs> That'll be exactly in person. Yeah person this is fun well thanks for so much thanks for chatting i appreciate it all right, all right. i'll see you later man bye